Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch new episodes of Grey's Anatomy Thursdays at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Hello, everyone. I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to a brand new episode of Hi, Jinx, with me, Jinx Monsoon. Today's guest is a very funny writer and actor, Jimmy Fowley, who is currently playing a recurring role on my favorite TV show, The Other Two. But he's been around for forever, and we're going to talk about his experiences in the biz, including a moment where a role was written for him but didn't necessarily go to him. Yes, that happens in Hollywood. Sometimes you don't even get cast to play yourself. We talk about it today on Hi Jinx. Forever. everyone, I'm Jinx Monsoon, and welcome to Hi Jinx, a podcast where I, an internationally tolerated drag superstar, get to interview compelling and fascinating people about how they became who they are and why they do what they do. Today we are joined by actor, writer, and in my current favorite show, the other two, it's Jimmy Fowley. Hi Jimmy. Hi Jinx. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm doing really great. It's like, it's such a nice day today. Where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in LA. You're in LA, right? Did you move no. there? No. I'm, I'm in Portland, Oregon. So okay. sometimes I refer to it as the anti-LA. <laughs> yeah. It's also the anti-New York. It's the anti-a lot of places. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I've never been to Portland. You haven't? No, but I, I always hear that it's uh, my friend. Do you know Nico Santos? That I'm so terrible with names, but why do, that name is definitely Nico Santos. He's in that show Superstore. <laughs> um, oh, no, I don't know him, but I have friends who know him. I'm okay. very well connected, Mr. Fowley. <laughs> yeah, he... He was in, he went, he grew up there or like outside uh-huh. of Portland. And um, yeah, no, everyone, I, I feel like it's such a, it has such a cool vibe. Like, um, I feel like I could, if I wasn't an actor, I would actually move there and start over. 
Um, or you could just be an actor and live here and just, you know, miss out on 80% of auditions like <laughs> I do. Um, <laughs> well, as far as Portland, um, what percentage uh, hippie, queer, which would you say you are? I'm I'm definitely a low percentage. Like I wish that was my energy. Like I wish that I that was who I was. But I just um, I'm dr- I I am drawn to those people like witches and <laughs> we're very alluring. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, I uh, unfortunately I sadly fit into the LA gay stereotype like dumb this is my theory have you been playing that character for so long that it's taken over yeah <laughs> totally 100 percent um i i've been a fan of uh your independent uh what would you call it web comedy um, yeah short sketches yeah You've been playing um, a gay L.A. stereotype in your um, short film content and your web content for years now. Um, I have to imagine that's what landed you the role on my current favorite show, The (laughs) Other Two. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? Um, It's actually a kind of a funny story because that character is so in my wheelhouse. That's like one of my favorite characters to play someone who's just super nice super fun and a fucking idiot um and so but I actually got it through I did this like um one person show which was I um did you see La La Land I have successfully avoided seeing La La Land this entire time. That's great. Um, I um, I have nothing but respect for you for avoiding it. <laughs> In La La Land, me, uh, Emma Stone's character, Mia Dolan, had this one-woman show. And you never see the actual show, but you see moments of it, like her getting ready, her, you know, on the stage. And... Um, I wrote her one woman show from beginning to end and performed it. And um, Chris Kelly, who is one of the creators, him and Sarah Schneider, he happened to come to it. And then he was just super nice. And then he invited me to do the, the table read of the other two, the first season. And then he was just like so casual, like just super nice. And and then my agents were like, oh, you got offered this part. And I was like, oh, my God, that never happened. <laughs> like, literally, it's always the opposite where, like, you think you're going to get it. You hope you're going to get it. Um, and so that was that was super cool. Actually, there was one role, like, years ago, my friend had a show on YouTube Red. And she wrote the character for me. The character's name was Jimmy Fowley. <laughs> and I had to go and audition to play myself. And there was other actors and I like signed in. And when I signed in, because, you know, you say like your name and then obviously the character's name. Another actor who was there, like who came after me, he looked down and he was like, oh, do you like know the writers or something? <laughs> I was like, oh, I, I do. And he's like, should I even do this? And I was, and I didn't want to seem too cocky. And I was just like, oh, you know, I just laughed. But um, I didn't book it. 
like I literally didn't book myself um so all, all of that to say is like I never you know feel entitled to like a job just because like I did a table read or you know so yeah that, that was how that happened I've heard that said on a couple different podcasts and a couple different interviews actors who are you know on the rise and their notoriety and recognizability and a role gets written for them because someone in the writer's room or someone on the production team is a big fan of theirs and then they go in audition as themselves and then don't land the role because they get out like the 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 writer who was originally in their corner gets outvoted so then yeah. some other actor is playing a character that was essentially based on them (laughs) (laughs) totally did you watch did you end up um watching that project and and having notes for the fake jimmy Fallon? (laughs) i didn't and actually they changed the name i (laughs) i did ask her i was like can you just change the name so that like there's not two jimmy Fallon? like you know what i mean i'm like that's so that's humiliating um and she did she was so cool and she was so embarrassed um that that she you know the producers were like they want they went with a younger role they wanted to go with someone younger I was 29 at the time and they wanted like a super young like Instagram TikTok person who was like 23 but Jinx the role was for a chemistry teacher like how how did I age out of chemistry teacher so, so yeah, yeah, who are these who are these twinky chemistry teachers and why didn't I go to that school? <laughs> uh, <laughs> totally. I think part of it, I think there was like an eluded crush that like one of the, the high school students had on the teacher or something. And so they just won, which now like I still think that's super weird. Regardless, it's like a teacher and a student. So <laughs> Well, I I think, you know, the more and more I work in the biz, the more and more I realize that, I mean, you hear all the tall tales of Hollywood, you hear through media and, you know, culture, like what Hollywood is supposed to be like. And then you start working in Hollywood and you're like, yeah, a lot of that stuff is very true, but it's, you know, it's, it's still a regular job. And then you have an experience where a role was written for you and gets handed over to someone else. And, and it really just like, you know, it's, it's like no other career you have to, you have to put up with some of the most unnatural human circumstances. (laughs) That's such a great way to put it. It really is just unnatural. Like it's unnatural to go. I mean, now everything's zoom, but like, to go to a room and you know a bunch of the other actors and their friends or their people that you respect and you're all just waiting to go in to do this art form in like four minutes in front of like a stranger. Like it's, it's very odd. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, my, my acting teachers always talked about how the audition process is the most unnatural thing that you'll ever face as yeah. a human being not just as an actor totally. <laughs> so yeah. they they always encouraged us to have post audition rituals 
or like a little reward or like a little like treat you give yourself like a trained dog um, after your audition. Do you have any post-audition rituals that help you through the process? That's so funny you say that um, because I I think that's a great thing to say. Like I, I never, I, I had heard, do you know, obviously like the progressive lady flow who like has the red <laughs> lips. Like, she um, was a performer at the groundlings and that's where I took improv classes. And she would say that she would do that. Like after a commercial audition, she'd give herself like a little treat, like Froyo or something <laughs> like that. And I thought that was so cute. Um, I don't have any audition rituals, but I'll, what I'll tell you is that I actually used to be super anxious to the point of, I was having like panic attacks, like, <laughs> and I was like, I, I was actually going to be like, I actually was going to stop acting and just be like, okay, I'll just write. I'll be behind the scenes. This is crazy. And then I got hypnotized <laughs> and it worked. Isn't that wild? That, that's pretty wild, but also like, you know, makes perfect sense to me, but I've also never witnessed, like, the only forms of hypnotism I've witnessed are, like, show hypnotism, you know? And I was one of the people hypnotized, and I can tell you right now I was faking it. Oh, were you really? (laughs) I always wonder about that. I was definitely faking it. And then I remember someone else who was being hypnotized was going along with the things they were being told to do, but eventually just started laughing and like broke and was asked to sit down because it was obvious that they were. Oh my God. <laughs> but, but the they- funniest, <laughs> the funniest thing about it was it was like for a high school field trip. And because I was more boyish presenting then, I think the hypnotist just assumed I was your average high school um, male presenting person and like got me to do like a drag number to Lady Marmalade um, as my hypnotism and kept saying things like, isn't this crazy? Isn't this crazy seeing your classmate doing this? And one of my friends was just like, no, he does this all the time. He's a drag queen. We're over it. (laughs) (laughs) That's so good. Oh my God. He was probably thinking that like, oh God, he lucked out or like, he's so powerful. (laughs) But what do you think? That's pretty much like a big, um, he's got to have like a lot of faith that all these people unprompted are just going to go along with it. Is that like, I, I I have to assume that's a part of it. And as a drag queen, who's done lots of audience work throughout the years, I'll say, you know, I have gotten people to do things that I don't even agree that they should have done it. Like it what? was like, it was in the moment in the show, I had already set up the conceit. And then the person who volunteered like revealed some new information. And I'm like, should I pull the plug on this? But then they're all like ready to do it. And the audience is hungry for it. So I've like had a, I had like a, a man on my stage moon, the audience once, but his daughter and his mother were in the audience. <laughs> Um, like I've had, I was doing a truth or dare show for a while and I would get one guy every night to strip down to his underwear and watch the rest of the show in his underwear. And 
I think very rarely did anyone say no. You know, it was all consent based. It was all like, do you want to do this? This is the thing I'm asking you to do. And if they didn't want to, you know, sometimes the audience would egg them on or sometimes I'd be like, are you sure? But I'd always let people opt out, but I didn't have to very often. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, pro- it's also like that adrenaline rush where people start. Yeah. They, they actually kind of feel so like in the moment, they're like fearless. Would you, um, if you came to one of my shows um, and you got called up on stage, would you be comfortable mooning the audience and or resting, watching the rest of the show in your underwear? I would probably, I would definitely watch the show in my underwear. Like, I think that would be funny. And I'm like, I feel like I'm always in my underwear. (laughs) I just feel like that that's going to end up in a picture that's going to end up like, (laughs) like oh like a weird story where it's like you know like not that anyone would care but it's like crazy gay man like exposes himself to like (laughs) an un you know unwilling audience or something like that where I'm like but there would be the caveat that a drag queen hypnotized him to do it so (laughs) maybe I'm I'm sure honestly I said that I wouldn't but I'm sure I would As a gay le- as a gay liberty, have you kept your nudes under wrap? <laughs> have no like no nudes have ever come out of me. <laughs> have have um, they leaked of you? Not I, I check periodically, and as far as I can tell, no leaks have happened of my. Can nudes. I check now? I don't. I don't think I. Feel like <laughs> honestly, James, no one really. I, I'm just going to be honest. No one really cares about me. Um, <laughs> I find that hard to believe. I'm sure if you searched um yourself right now, like on WikiFeet, you'd um <laughs> you'd at least have a page on WikiFeet. Yeah. I, I mean these are they're all just like Oh, the- our our producer did show us you've got some shirtless pics on some forum, but that seems to be it. <laughs> yeah, I think it was just random like like random stills from stuff that I <laughs> Oh my God, you guys, there is literally a Jimmy Fowley page where you can rate it. And at, out of four stars, I have one star what? Uh, of like the level of sexy. So that, I mean, I'm so, we should have never gone down this avenue. I can't, I, I, I'm traumatized. I mean, do you need to process this right now? <laughs> Let me see. I'm going to send this. <laughs> I'm sending this in the chat so you can see. Oh, there we have it. Oh, and it's a scene from the other two. Yep. One star. No, it's because of no nudity. You yeah. know what? If you want to get that star rating up, you're going to have to leak your grinder nudes. All right. <laughs> Any Anything to like, you know, increase a, a star level on a random site that I've never checked. <laughs> I feel like this is definitely, you know... Um, let's just see this be an episode in season three of the other two. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was already kind of a. I don't want to spend the whole podcast talking about the other two, but no, what a fucking it. brilliant I love show. That show too. <laughs> and um, there was an episode about um, uh, one of the main characters, a butthole picture gets leaked, and first it destroys his life, and then it, uh, and then it leads to his rising star and yeah it's it's amazing how much accuracy the other two portrays being a queer person in 
Hollywood and in the entertainment business and the back and forth that you face on a daily basis and the indignities that you endure. <laughs> totally. And, and it's so like, I feel like I've never seen a show that will do these deep cuts. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like even there was this one random joke that I, that my character in, um, hopefully this isn't a okay spoiler if you haven't seen (laughs) but um when I my character comes back I'm I was married and then I'm divorced and I'm dating Aaron Shock which obviously the Republican you know guy who like uh who came out and as gay after like voting for all this anti-LGBT um like legislation so even just jokes like that, that it's like, it's so specific to the gay community that, you know, queer people, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because like, we haven't really had that. Like it, yeah. it's sometimes. Yeah. I, I, what I really love about the show is that it feels, um, it just feels evident that it is written by people who have experienced all of this and it's um you know uh not every character in the show is queer but there's heavy queer through lines Mm -hmm. um and it feels very much like it was written by people who understand that experience or had that experience themselves and your role is something um you have a recurring role and every time we see him, he's in some different state of life. And it's always, um, it's for the most part, social media centered and like, a you know, a self-made gay liberty. Um, <laughs> and I feel like I've just met countless people that your character could have been based on. so many questions but what's your favorite part of playing this character and what's the part that like um is there anything that gets under your skin or anything that you're like uh i i have to release this from my body so that i don't (laughs) keep this with me for the rest of my life (laughs) um well i love um i i just love how happy he is like he's very you know and he's i think we've all seen kind of like that the bitchy gay guy who um you know, obviously that exists, but like those certain cliches, I think we've seen again and again. So it's kind of fun to see this kind of, you know, in a lot of ways, he's, he's really kind to the main character. Like I Mm -hmm. like flip on it that like, he's actually very genuine and yeah, he's um, pretty basic and he's like, a fame monster, but he is. But then there are other times where he'll, say things that you realize like he he's so happy and dumb but then there's this opposite energy will where he'll say something and you're like oh he's like a savage business marketing person like when he says like you know there was like this line where um he's talking to the lead character about how to get like more likes on social media and how to make a joint account and the main character is so turned off by it but I make this comment, I'm sure I'll like fuck up the line now, but he says something like, yeah, and make sure to get your feet in the shot so that gaze in the no can sell jacket to you. <laughs> like, oh God, like, first of all, that's so, um, 
like he has a point but it's also just it's he, he's so desperate and um so I really it's like extremely like, accurate yeah it's totally <laughs> accurate and even just like monetizing your life monetizing your relationship like everything is like a shared moment but it's also a sponsored post it's also like this never-ending you know I think we all can relate to that and judging moments based on how much of a like reaction they get online it's that weird like disconnect um so that's kind of like, I, I like that his character deals with those themes. And then also, so I like how he's super happy. He's very fun. He's super nice. Um, and then when he, I already mentioned this, but when he was like, oh, I'm dating Aaron Shock, I'm just like, oh, he is a villain. He's the villain of season two. <laughs> but I, he, he is a villain in many ways because of the things that he ignites for the main character. And he's oftentimes like kind of like a siren luring the main character into <laughs> the dark world of social media fame. But there's an innocence and an earnestness to him that I don't think he's malicious. Yeah. I think he's just so caught up in the system of self-made social media fame. and. um you know, the I've talked about it on a previous episode about how I felt like the other two and the recurring theme of foot fetishes in social media, which is in like every other episode. And sometimes it's a throwaway. Sometimes it's a plot point. But for me, this was the signal that foot fetishes are now mainstream. Yep. Um, um, it's a mainstream kink. And just like, you know, I don't know, four years ago, I posted a joke about Gaston's toe sticking out of his sock in Beauty and the Beast. And it was a very divisive post. Was it? <laughs> and- <laughs> what was it? Re- that is so funny. Just, you know, me talking about Disney being responsible for my foot fetish because at six years old, I saw Gaston's toe and something changed inside of me forever. And I thought that might be really relatable, and I guess it was, but there were also a lot of people who just really couldn't get behind it. And um, <laughs> and now it's just like, it's just this constant <laughs> plot point on yes. the show, The Other Two. And um, I noticed that too. I got a lot of DMs, a lot of people being like, thank you for like going there with the feet. Like, first of all, <laughs> I, I didn't write it. So it's like, I'm like, oh, cool, I'm... But I'm like, yes, foot people with foot fetishes come out of the shadows into the light <laughs> in my DMs. And a lot of people I talk to these days because it's an ongoing um, question of mind is like, you know, where are you at with your foot fetish journey? But what I find <laughs> now is that there's a lot of people who don't feel like they have a fetish, but now have begun to appreciate the aesthetic of feet in pictures and stuff. And the line that you mentioned, you know, making sure your feet are still in the 
pictures leads to another line. Um, again, it's a spoiler, but th- hopefully this just motivates people to watch the show. But the main character starts having like a fever vision uh, of like what his life would be if he became an Instagram influencer. And he's just like, hi, welcome to our channel. I'm Nooner. This is breakfast. This is my feet. And here's his feet. <laughs> you know, like, just it becoming like a checklist of like, make sure you show your feet for a moment. Yes. Um, so you've gotten responses for this character thanking you for your advocacy work for fetish communities, but Mm -hmm. have you, I'm sure it's also attracted quite a few creeps. Um, uh, not that foot fetishists are creeps, but there are people who make it creepy. Um, have you had to bat off some of that? (laughs) Have you had to build up your resistance to, Um, no, you know, everyone's just been super sweet and like, Oh, that's great. Like, oh, I, I love the show or like, you know, that they're, they're enjoying it. So that just makes me really happy, you know, cause like just being an actor, like you, as you know, you don't have a lot of say on if you're on a cool project or if you're on a project where like, you know, you can do, you can tap into kind of what makes you like special or like your, mm-hmm. your skill set, like. I was on a random Disney show called Bizarre Bark for four episodes, like (laughs) with Jake Paul and like Olivia Rodriguez, like all these people who blew up. And I I was playing this random assistant to a 12 year old. And like, let me tell you, no one was watching, like no one (laughs) like, hey, I love your work on Bizarre Bark. <laughs> so I'm just super grateful to be on something that's fun. Like I I watch it and I laugh out loud. Like I genuinely just love the show. So it's, it's so, cool so well written. Yeah. So, well, I don't know if you know, like so Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider were the head writers of SNL and they were the two youngest head writers um ever. And they're just just like super talented and they're not, they don't have really big egos. They're I've said this before, but they're almost like the really um, like the kids in your class who are like good friends who are like really nerdy and really smart. Like they're not, they're not nerdy. They're just like sweet. And they're not, you know, so many comedians, especially SNL, you'd think like, oh, they're going to be like doing bits and going crazy, or they're going to be like on a crazy power trip. But like, they're just very professional and sweet and like, so like insanely talented. So I, I can't say enough good things about them. It's it's always nice to hear when something you love is worth loving because the people who work on it are are cool people. You know, it's yeah. always disappointing when you find it out something does. you've been worshiping is inherently problematic. And then you're like, OK, I got to cut you from yeah. my life, you problematic porn star, you know, <laughs> Has that ever happened to you where you um, met someone who was a kind of a hero and you were like, oh, I hate how I was treated. But also, if, if you don't want to put that on your podcast, totally respect that. I've actually like, you know, um, had really good experiences. What I find is that the celebrities who have longevity and who, um, you know, have earned their place, you know, and then some in, in our cultural (laughs) zeitgeist. I don't know what I'm trying to say, but the good celebrities, the people who are extremely successful and will continue to be successful are often 
I've never had negative experiences. Nothing that's like jumping out at my mind because I I feel like the celebrities I've met have um, just learned to be cool, chill human beings in spite of whatever amount of fame they have. It's like they don't have anything to prove, kind of. Exactly. It's like, um, I uh, I don't know if I've told this story before, but like I met Kristen Chenoweth in a dressing room in Dublin um, at a bar just randomly because we both had gigs in Dublin, in Dublin's fair city. And we both ended up at this like drag queen after party in a dressing room at this <laughs> bar. And she was just bopping around tiny little like, I don't know how tall she is, like three feet tall, um, <laughs> bopping around with a pint of beer that she didn't even drink, but just was so personable and um, took time to like talk to each person and um, knew stuff about the drag queens there. And it was just like, oh, like when you reach a certain level of fame, there's no um, impetus to put on some kind of, uh, you know, diva persona the the divas i know are the people who are at the bottom of the food chain on the celebrity ladder and i think they convince themselves that acting like a diva is the shortcut to being a bigger celebrity than they are but really it just makes people not want to share a dressing room with you or people like i noticed this with um casting directors like some of the best casting directors like they are so sweet. They like, they keep up with you. They're like, oh, like th- thanks for coming in. And they're just so nice. But then you go in, you know, no shade to the commercial casting directors of the world, but you'll go in for like a Geico commercial where like, <laughs> it's definitely not, I mean, yes, you could get a commercial, you can make a bunch of money, but like, you know, it's not going to change your, your life. Um, and you don't care, you don't care as much. And you go in and those casting directors are always like, Guys, when you come into the room, make sure you are slating and play it super. Like they just come at you with so much attitude and you're like, oh, because they're getting something out of kind of putting you down. Mm. Whereas these, you know, people who are, I don't know, maybe they're just more happy in their jobs or whatever, (laughs) but they don't need to get that like rise out of kind of like making you feel scared. It's really interesting. You've mentioned a few things that you've worked on. Um, Of course, we talked about the other two. Some other notable um, projects you've worked on. Two Broke Girls, Good Girls, Go-Go Boy Uninterrupted, The Comeback, You've worked on a lot of high-profile things, but you still find time um, to produce your own self-generated um, content. Um, I hate saying content because it's like, <laughs> but you know, when you go to the internet to find it, it's like, oh, is that content or is that? I, I never know what to call like comedy shorts, and comedy yeah. shorts sounds like I'm making some kind of pun about like really funny underwear or something. Yeah, <laughs> I I like I like videos, like you know videos or like sketches um Mm -hmm. you know my background is in like just the sketch comedy world so um yeah i know uh first of all damn you you did your research that was all all (laughs) this up um yeah i like to um i just always had this 
thing where, as I told you, like I was struggling with auditions. I wasn't feeling good. I, I was bombing every audition. I had for literal years. <laughs> like, you know how they say like, oh, you need to have a good audition. So it, it doesn't matter if you get the part, you just want the casting director to like call yeah. you back in. If I saw a casting director jinx, like in those first three years, I never saw them again. I'm not, <laughs> I was so bad. One time I was, cause I would just get so in my head. And I remember one time I'm performing this, like, I think it was like a monologue or something for some like Nick, Nickelodeon show or a Disney show. And the whole time I had this negative script in my head. That's like, Jimmy, you're doing so bad. Like, you're like, not like at all present. Like you're really fucking this up. This is bad. And then I was like, okay, Jimmy, it's fine. You're probably just being too hard on yourself. And then I looked at the casting director and she was like this, like really scared. Recoiling. Yeah. Recoiling <laughs> for anyone who's not obviously watching this. Like, she was fully spooked. Like I made eye contact with her and she, her, her vibe was I'm scared and I want this to end. So, um, but yeah, I found that like writing my own stuff, like it just was kind of my, I found so much joy, like, you know, coming up with ideas, like interesting characters. Like I love creating characters and like, just really thinking like, what, what's funny about some, like what's vulnerable about them. And, um, you know, the opposites, I think any sort of dynamic character has this push and pull and has different qualities that like are seemingly, um, like, contradictory but like somehow coexist and so I just love to like dive into that stuff and just geek out on it and what's exciting is when you're someone like me who's seen a lot of your um, self-generated work a lot of your sketches and videos and a lot of the more independent projects you've worked on then it's really exciting when I'm watching the comeback or the other two and I see you and I can be like that's Jimmy Fallon look at Jimmy Fallon I think the first thing I um, saw you in was ages ago, and I can't remember what it was, but I think you were playing a go-go boy. But I do know Drew Drogi was... Yeah, I know Drew is like just one of the masters. He was, he was initially my teacher at Groundling and became a, a friend over the years. And um, yeah, that was like my first kind of web series as yeah. uncool as it as it is today <laughs> that's not uncool at all and um most recently i've been seeing you doing a lot of um sex in the city parodies oh is yeah that motivated by all the the talk about the next is, is it finalized is it happening there's another season of Sex in the City coming with uh, without Kim Cattrall, or is that just all hearsay? <laughs> oh, it, it is definitely coming. Um, I I actually started doing this parody randomly before there was even an announcement of it. I started doing it in 2020, and then like my take was like um, Sex in the City in 2020, just mm-hmm. kind of the juxtaposition of like what these you know what the character um, C- Carrie Bradshaw was known for. And what was actually going on in our, like, you know, in the world. And I I just thought that would be funny. And um, 
not to say that I like started this buzz about sex in the city coming back, but <laughs> I, I was randomly doing it and it was actually a little bit like, like just brand, random that I was doing it. And then, and then all of a sudden it was coming back and I, I'm, I'm not that delusional where I think I had anything to do with it, but it was just kind of like a funny moment where like this thing that was really so irrelevant that I clung to now is suddenly relevant. I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> it was prescient. You were precognitive uh, uh, about <laughs> the upcoming stirrings of a new Sex in the City season. Yes. I'm going to take us on a hard left turn and ask you about a photo that I do not fully understand. And um, I'll just, I'll show it to you and I'll describe it to um, <laughs> the listeners. Oh my God. I didn't it's a photo it. of a, of a Lord of the Rings style dwarf looking character and I have no idea, and I've tried to get to the bottom of this photo. Were you in Lord of the Rings? Is this you doing a Lord of the Rings type character? Or is this just a Lord of the Rings character that's not you, that just looks like you if you were done up in the makeup? I'm so confused. I don't know what the answer is. And you often like repost it and say, those of you who know, know everything about this picture, but I can't get to the bottom of it. Please tell me. <laughs> okay. That's such a fair question. And, <laughs> I, and it's actually such a, um, it's, it's going to be a disappointing answer because years ago, I think it was like 2017, someone tagged me on Twitter in that picture and was like, this reminds me of you. And it really just spoke to me. Like if you, if you look at the image, like there's something about his expression that's like, it's pleasant, but it's also sad. He looks like, <laughs> he looks so earnest, but he also looks like, I, I don't know. Like it just, I, I just had this obsession <laughs> and I would just like post it. And then I like, there was a period of time jinx where I posted it every day um, for months to the point that if you went to my grid, it was only pictures of him. <laughs> and do you, you know who, who he actually is? Well, through the years and because I posted so much, he actually reached out and now we follow <laughs> each other on Instagram. His name is, um, Adam Brown and he's an, an actor in, um, his character's name is Ori. Okay. And he's in the Hobbit. I, I watched Lord of the Rings in quarantine with my best friend who's a big Lord of the Rings fan I watched all of the Lord of the Rings films like all of them and we watched the director's cut so it was hours it was days of watching Lord of the Rings and I, I don't know how much of it got through um <laughs> I think it just kind of washed over me or were you like I want I, it to be done I did enjoy it because I love magic. I love fantasy films. Um, I enjoyed it, but it also just kind of, it's so much. There's so much lore and there's so much of it, especially in the films, having not read the books, there's so much stuff that gets cut out for time that my, like, I could only understand like 50% of the story um, with, and then my, best friend had to like fill me in on things that were cut from the film that would have made certain things clearer to me. Um, but I'm constantly like 
it, it just felt like a fever dream. It felt like I don't, <laughs> I don't know what of it I actually retained. Like I'm a huge um, Chilling Adventures of Sabrina fan and had no recollection that Aunt Zelda is <laughs> a heavy player in the Lord of the Rings films. And so that blew my mind, even though I had already watched the films, I was like, oh my God, that was her. <laughs> God. So suffice it to say, I was just in full, full believement. I, I, I fully believed it was you. I was like, of course, Jimmy could have played a a, a warrior dwarf in, in the Lord of Rings, <laughs> Lord of the yeah. Rings saga. <laughs> but yeah, some people have said like, hey, like, is this you? Like, they think it's like an acting credit. And um, I wish that it was. But <laughs> what I'll say is. I did make official merch that is just his photo on a t-shirt. <laughs> so if they Lord of the Rings may come after me. Oh, well, um, we'll try to keep this interview on the DL, <laughs> or at least just not, we won't be forwarding it to the Lord of the Rings team. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I would love, I would love if they came after me. That would be great. <laughs> there is a bit of, I mean, there are a lot of fantastic um, queer comedians in L.A. creating their own work all the time in between their um, commercial gigs. Um, and you seem to be very well connected with a lot of them. <laughs> There's like I, off the top of my head, I'm thinking of like you and Drew Drogi and um, Jack Plotnick and um, Michael Henry. Is there a bit of a gay boys club in L.A. of like um, uh, self-producing comedians? Do you all go out to brunch and discuss notes on what's funny right now? <laughs> You know, I think it's, like, very... I've never had anything, like, official... Like, you know, in ter in terms of connecting with people, I feel like it's very friendly. Like, we're all rooting for each other. We'll be in people's mm -hmm. videos. There's, like, you know, um, this really great... Um, there was this show at um, the Groundlings called The Gale. Um, and it was, like, a, a very cool, like, diverse group of queer performers, like... Um, Peter Kim um, and um, Lucas Hazlitt and Navaris Darson, like who actually was in the episode of the other two with me on um, season one. He played one of the instigays. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it's just very much like people are always down to like, oh, can you be in the sketch? Like, hey, you know, I'm doing a show. Can you like, do you want to be in it and just kind of helping each other? And I think that's like, there's such a sense of community. And I feel like we all kind of get each other's humor. Like, cause I feel like when you're queer, you can be so fucking weird. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get that, you know? Um, and that's another thing I love about the other two is, um, as far as I can tell, all the queer characters are played by queer performers, or mm. if they're not, it's it doesn't feel like a um, a queer pantomime being performed by a by a straight actor. Yeah. Um, there's and another there was an episode where they like talked about that, like straight people playing gay roles, and they, when he came down in the dress, like <laughs> yeah. on I was just like, God, this is so. I feel so seen, you know, because that. 
I mean, that, that always happened like my whole life. I didn't even think it was weird that like all the great, you know, all these great roles would always go to straight actors. And I think like with acting, it's like, it's your imagination. Like you should be able to take on these roles and try different things. And a straight person, I, I think they totally could, can play a queer person. But I think because there's such a lack of opportunities for queer people, um, and like, especially like trans actors, like yeah. all these cisgender actors want to jump into this meaty dynamic trans role. And it's like, it's just so hard because, you know, I think it would be a different story if there were just tons of opportunities and exactly. trans actors like work all the time and, and, you know, it's starting to get better, but it's like, I think that's a part that's part of why we as a culture have been like let's stop doing that let's stop always doing that and and then that makes me happy because I feel like maybe the pendulum will swing and there'll be way more opportunities and you know but like remember when Scarlett Johansson was going to play this trans man a transgendered man and people were like what and she was like I should be able to play a tree if I want it's like that's so privileged and like it's just like that kind of comment it's like she just doesn't get it you yeah. know and and uh, that's the big thing for me is um you know stories written written about experiences that this person doesn't have any access to and i know that you know that's a part of acting is sometimes you're playing a role that like you know, you have to find the parallels and equivalents in your own life. And that's a part of being an actor. But the biggest thing that stands out to me um, as a problem, besides, you know, what you were saying about the scarcity of queer and trans roles, and then them not even going to queer and trans people, it's like, so there's so few roles created for us, and then they're not even given to us. But also, it's like saying that there are no talented queer actors or no talented trans actors or performers when we know that that's not true because thanks to social media and people self-producing things, we know that they're out there. And the other two, you know, um, another person who stands out to me is Tommy Dew, who um, plays a cameo. <laughs> Tommy and, Dew is just the best. He's so funny. Yeah, so funny. Um, anyone listening, hopefully they're already finding you on social media and following you, but also go follow Tommy Dew. He's doing this thing um, where he's taking TikTok videos and inserting himself in TikTok videos. And the one that stands out to me the most is he keeps, um, there's this ongoing thing that he's in a threple relationship with those two pretty boys and one of them's French. And that's like, that's all their content (laughs) is just, um, he's French and we're dating. And that's the extent of the premise is like, watch this French boy be French. And, um, because I liked so many of the videos Tommy Do did with with their content, now Instagram is trying to force this French boy down my throat. Oh, don't you hate that? <laughs> yeah, it, the algorithm is so good, but it doesn't quite get when you're hate watching something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's like no, I don't send you that real. Totally, I, I, well, I have- once. 
<laughs> once I, Apple like starts putting like um, mood receptors into our brains yeah. or like, <laughs> yeah, I I felt like sometimes I'll comment on Tommy's videos of of uh, of when he does them. I'll just say I'm so mad at you for introducing <laughs> these people into my world. Like I didn't know them. I was like protected, and then it's like I'll see these videos and like it's just it's so it's so funny. I mean, I do my best not to judge what other people like. And if, you know, if people want to watch this French boy be French, then, um, you know, more power to the audience, more power to the French boy. Um, But for me, it's just kind of like after I watched a handful of those videos, of course, I was, you know, like, okay, so is there something I'm missing? Nope. The premise is that he's French. And (laughs) let's just listen to this pretty gay boy talking a French accent. And Again, all the power to him, but there's just a part of me that's like Marilyn Monroe had to had to sing and dance and yeah. act and model. She had to do literally everything. Most performers of that era, you know, knew how to play piano. They knew how to sing, even if they weren't the most amazing singers. Yeah, they were all so changed right. musically. Uh, changed. They were trained musically. Um, and now it's just kind of like, oh, you can... You can really make a career out of just having an accent, and that's the extent. Yeah. Of it. Totally, it's odd, and um, it's funny because I was kind of like um, doing these parody videos of this, uh, like I guess like uh, influence, like he was an influencer, and basically he went away for um, like when everyone was locked down and staying super, you know during the quarantine, like him and his friends basically got outed for like going to Mexico where there was all these like, you know, vulnerable people because they didn't, you know, they're like the health. Yeah. Person- I have some friends who did that. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to do dive into that, but I just did like a, a video kind of poking fun at him. Like it wasn't, I don't think it was too mean spirited. It was just kind of like, yeah. you know, but this particular person, it's just like kind of, you know, I didn't feel bad about it because this this person has like a half a million followers is Mm -hmm. making you know tons of money off these deals and so I feel like almost like the little guy of like you know I'm gonna just like poke fun and make fun I think the same thing with Tommy do it's like you know it'd be a different story if it was like this young kid who's like desperately trying to get attention but failing it's like no these young Instagram people are are like powerhouses and like it's the whole kind of like my character and the other two where there's something about them where like you kind of don't feel bad making fun of them because they're not you know they're not underdogs they're like they're making it a killing you know and they figured this thing out and it's also just like that's the weird thing about life and and the world and like, I like what you said about, like, back in the day, people could, like, sing and dance and model and stuff. And I'm like, God, it makes me nostalgic for a time that I don't even know. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, the benefits of social media is also that, like, like we were saying about queer people and um, trans people being able to say, hey, we exist. Yeah. We're not getting these opportunities. We're going to make our own. And then it becomes like that cool feedback loop where then we actually get the opportunity. Yeah. It's such a trade-off. Like sometimes I'm like, sometimes I'm like, oh, it's so good. And then sometimes I'm like, oh, it's so bad. 
Yeah. I mean, I I think it's definitely a double-edged sword and that's why, you know, I can't outright condemn the 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 trend of social media and where it's at these days. And I don't want anyone to think that I like um don't see the merit in being able to like make something out of whatever you got, you know? And I think it's just being smart about, you know, like what have I got to offer and how am I going to offer it? And um, what can I do with this? You know, yeah. I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But my fear is that as social media content becomes more and more popular, you know, I just want people to still have room and capacity for entertainers who aren't going the social media route and who are just actually focusing on the craft of being an actor or a singer. You know, I don't want... I want there to be room for everything. And the thing that scares me is that like, you know, when you are working on social media and when you're someone who's putting out your own content, it's like, okay, I I have a really funny idea for a video, but I got to find a way to make it only two minutes long because people don't want to watch anything. It's like people have an attention span where they won't even press play on a video that says it's 10 minutes long because they're like, I don't have that kind of time. You know, I can definitely sit here and scroll for hours and hours and watching like 10 second clips of <laughs> of things rather than just committing 10 minutes of my life to watch uh, a new web short or something. Yeah. <laughs> I said it again, the web shorts. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Um, I, I also love a world where like someone's takeaway from this is like Jinx Monsoon is quitting social media and just creating <laughs> web shorts. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, I'm a, I'm a high strung Virgo with anxiety and OCD and I am definitely someone who will like run my mouth off about my thoughts and then later be like, is everyone going to think that I hate you know, that I hate that French boy and be like, why are you hating on that French boy? He's just living his French life. (laughs) But I hope that people still have the capacity for nuance and know that sometimes you can critique a thing and that doesn't mean you hate that thing. But, you know, when you're um, when you're uh, when you train in a field, being able to critique the work in that field is a part of your job, you know, being able to to, you know, like uh, to receive something and be able to critically pick it apart. And, you know, it's not really about whether you like it or not. You're just kind of analyzing, like, what about this works? What about this? Could I take into my own work? And so, you know, I mean, I'm also, I'm not that old, but I feel like I'm old enough to be pretty um, jaded and just the, you know, a lovably bitter. (laughs) Yeah. I like that. Um, You, You've been in the industry for quite some time, and I'm basing that off of your headshots. Ah! <laughs> oh my god! How old were you in these pictures? I was, I want, I think I was 15, 15, yeah, 14 or 15, but that was a scam, like a weird scam modeling <laughs> agency that was like was advertised on the radio and charged like a ton of money for these horrible photos. Mm-hmm. And then when you called the number for your agent, like no one picked up. So oh, wow. it was like, yeah. And it was called, and I should have known cause it was 
from Philadelphia. It was Philadelphia, <laughs> which are you from? You're not from Philadelphia, are you? No, I'm I'm from Portland. Okay. Yeah. Um, Philadelphia, like, why would you, you sign with an agency that's based <laughs> in Philadelphia? Because, like, and no, if you're listening, if you're from Philadelphia, like, truly, no shade to you. I think Philadelphia people I know are like so funny, like don't give a shit. But it's not I, the epicenter I, of. <laughs> I don't know models from Philadelphia. Period. I just don't. I don't. I don't know like a ton of fashionable people from Philadelphia. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that, I got scammed. Well, for anyone listening, um, you know, I was subject to one of those scams as a teenager too, where they had a, like a big cattle call thing at the mall. And then you got called back. And when you got called back, it was like, um, okay, so you pay us this shit ton of money. And then we give you like a package deal where you get headshots and training and blah, 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 blah. But it's not, they're not really agents there. That's like, uh, it's the entertainment equivalent of a pyramid scheme, you know? (laughs) I taught improv at a place in Orange County that was really like, I felt, I, I I didn't go back and teach after I finally was like, wait, this place is very um, predatory. Like yeah. they basically promised these kids and there's adults too. Like, oh yeah, like once you start working, you're going to be making all this money. Mm-hmm. And they charge like three grand for their classes. And it's like this program. And it's like, these kids, like they're just getting so ripped off. Yeah. Like, three grand and it's like six classes it's like five hundred dollars a class yeah there's uh, there's just sharks in the water everywhere you go jimmy fally <laughs> oh did you watch any of those big um speaking of scams do you like um doc like do you like true crime docs or like those bingeable are you into like lula Roe or um No, I can't say that I am, but I mean, I'm not saying that I wouldn't like them if I gave them a chance, but I am very much a person who binges, um, binges old sitcoms for the comfort of something familiar and something (laughs) recognizable. Like I, I just finished Frasier for, I don't know how many times. And (laughs) that is, I love that. That's so sweet. (laughs) It's really funny, you know, because I do keep up with some modern shows, obviously, the other two, and not just today, but I've brought it up in many previous episodes. But, um, and that's how good of a show it is. It's just like so exciting and so like speaks to me so much that I just want to bring it up all the time and make sure Uh that everyone in my life also likes it because otherwise I'm going to have to rethink our friendship. But, um, (laughs) uh, but yeah, one of the funny, things about watching old sitcoms from the 90s or early 2000s or uh, 80s is you see a lot of big stars today in their like first tiny little tv appearances like i just watched an episode of seinfeld where it's jennifer coolidge is um you know a guest actor um playing one of jerry's girlfriends but it's Jennifer Coolidge before she became the Jennifer Coolidge that we know before yeah. she had the affectations that she's known for. And before she leaned into this persona that she's created for herself. And 
Um, it's amazing to, and you know, Megan Mullally was everywhere, but before yeah. she was Karen, and now it's like now we can't not associate her with Karen. But before there was Karen, there was just Megan Mullally playing characters. You know, yeah. <laughs> I know. I don't know if you ever watch um, Happy Endings. Like I never, um, I never got watched it when it was on the air. But my my boyfriend, it's like one of his favorite shows. And the same thing, like you would watch it and it's like people who became series regulars and like stars were doing these little guest spots, like three, you know, and so it's so cool to see. But I I wonder, I think back then, I mean, I know the internet was obviously around, but I think that's how they really kind of, you proved what you could do. Like, yeah, prove that you're like, okay, you did a guest star, you killed it. And then casting people in the world were like, oh, maybe they could be a series regular. Like you kind of had to like prove. So. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's fun. I, I don't know how old you are, but I feel like we're around the same age. And it's fun, like just talking to another person in the biz who um, has kind of analyzed and studied like where it was and yeah. where it is and where it's potentially going. Just to just to wrap up this conversation before I ask you my compulsory questions, um, congratulations to a long career. Congratulations to uh, always putting out your own work when the work wasn't there for you. And then congratulations on your recurring role on my current favorite TV uh, show. And if this hasn't convinced all my listeners to go watch that show, um, there's two seasons out right now. Um, it's, it's so well-written, so well-performed um, and sheds light on so many topics that I'm just so excited to see being talked about on television. And it's not all about the feet, but the feet are a big part of it. So (laughs) So much. That's so sweet. I'm so happy you like it. And um, I think you're, I just think you're so great. I don't think I've ever told you, but I mean, I feel like, you know, everyone who watches drag race just (laughs) loved you on that because you were just so lovable like so I'm sure you I don't know if you feel that I'm glad to hear it I you know I of course you know being a perfectionist um watching my episodes and my season always makes me want to like reach into the tv and like correct things or like tell myself to get a fucking grip but um it's always nice to hear that um people I admire Oh, watch this little drag phenomenon I was a part of. So thank you, Jimmy. Totally. But I do. Oh, what were you going to say? Go ahead. No, no. I was going to ask you, and this might be, you might be annoyed at this question. (laughs) You can fully edit it out. But, you know, like the rumors are like, maybe there's a world where there's like a winner's season. And is there any truth to that? And if there was, would you ever go back or are you done with Drag Race? If I'm definitely not done with Drag Race because I love doing um, guest spots and, you know, they've had me on to coach um, before and they've had me on to, you know, just like make cameos. Um, so 
never done with it. Um, But I always say, you know, if they call me to do a winter season, it will really just depend on what's going on for me that day. And maybe like what I had for breakfast. So like if I had like my favorite avocado toast and some sriracha and my favorite cold brew, maybe I'd be like, yeah, you know what? Sign me up. Uh, Or if that morning I was like having a particularly hard time waking up and I was cranky, then maybe I'd say like, you know, the old gray mare just ain't what she used to be. So it's really going to just be a gut decision made if it ever comes to that. So, (laughs) Um, but I do have my compulsory questions before I release you back into the LA wild. Um, First being, uh, who is your celebrity crush today? Oh, um, who I really like Jake Gyllenhaal. I think he's <laughs> so sexy. Mm-hmm. He is very sexy. I definitely had a crush on him, but here's a glimpse into me. Um, I preferred him a lot more when he was like a scrawny little twink. Now that yeah. he's like, now that he's like a brick house, of course he's undeniably sexy and attractive, but. I would have wanted to um, spend my time with a, a bubble boy yeah. <laughs> film that has not Donnie aged. Darko. Well. <laughs> Donnie Darko. That's the era of Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, but of course that. I was that age, you know, I, I have a hard time sometimes like letting go of my like adolescence <laughs> and the things I liked then. So <laughs> I don't know if this is true for you but have you ever hooked up with someone you knew in middle school or high school and (laughs) you're like this isn't all I dreamed it would be because now we're like old and fat and married (laughs) well you know what's funny because I don't think I ever like had a crush and then hooked up with them later I Mm -hmm. definitely like I went to an arts high school, so there's a lot of, like, people, like, boys experimenting with boys and stuff. So, like, I think what happened, like, what's weirder is, like, later on when, not that I've, like, re-hooked up with any of those people, but I guess when you're, like, oh, they're they're doing this now or, you know, oh, they look great or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, like, hooked up with, like, someone in your dorm who's, like, <laughs> you're, like, whatever. And then you're, like, damn, okay. Looking good. <laughs> yeah it's um if if I had a quilt to tell the story of my of my sexual journey um that would be a mighty quilt I don't know why I chose quilt (laughs) Uh, (laughs) a tapestry I love love that storytelling (laughs) happening on a quilt um my next question for you is are you spiritual I am yeah I'm um I'm sober and like I feel like that was kind of my first introduction to spirituality and just mm-hmm. you know um it was cool because I grew I grew up like with my parents not liking sp- like spirituality or getting it or not not religious the only religious person I had in my life was my aunt who was my my aunt was like kind of um kind of crazy <laughs> she was like she sold Herbalife and she like spent her like life savings on Herbalife she's like yeah this, you gotta spend money to make money <laughs> and she spent her, all her money on Herbalife and then and she was really religious and so I was like and she claimed she invented taco salad 
<laughs> like you did not like everything that's quite like, the flex to try to claim that yeah it, right um and so it's anyway. like it, it cracks me up um uh in the uk uh birmingham uh i don't know if it's birmingham or manchester but there's like a uk city that calls themselves the capital of curry and it's like, but you just can't actually be that. I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, you might be famous for the curry that's made in your town, but there's no way that, I'm sorry, you just didn't invent curry. Yeah. <laughs> you think it would take that down because it, like, it kind of doesn't look great. <laughs> and, it, and it's, it, I mean, because, you know, there is a lot of um, um, Indian and Asian influence in the UK. That's like, undeniable and you can get curry every like curry is a staple and a um mainstay in uk cuisine but it didn't originate there so as good as your curry might be you cannot call yourself the capital of curry yeah. <laughs> totally. my final um question for you is what is your go-to karaoke song um I I've done like if I if I have another person I'll do like something from Greece, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like maybe like Summer Lovin'. Yeah, I feel like that's <laughs> fun. And I'm not a good singer, but I like but I'm down to sing. Actually, one time one of my friends and I, I we went on a cruise and she was like, um, "Let's do karaoke," and I was like, "No, babe, I don't want to be like those people on the cruise that everyone knows from singing karaoke because we sang karaoke the first night and everyone was like, mm-hmm. "Oh, like I saw you sing karaoke," and like you know because we're like just theater majors, like drunk and like, um, and people you know are like, "Oh, I saw you last." Theater night. majors at karaoke is it's it's a slippery slope. <laughs> it's a slippery slope. It's not. It's actually not okay. It's, it's not okay. It's actually an act of aggression. <laughs> because everyone else is having fun and theater majors are like really putting a lot on it. Yeah. But anyways, I remember um then I was like, no, I don't want to do karaoke. Then like an hour later, I was like in a blackout and I was like, hey, I messed <laughs> up to sing Backstreet Boys. And we sing like I think quit playing games with my heart. So yeah. I feel like I feel like I can see that in my mind's eye right now. I feel yeah. like one I've already seen it um from other people in the same situation, but um I really think that needs to be your next video. Yeah. Is a a, a flashback of that memory. Yeah. <laughs> um is there anything you'd like to promote to our listeners and where can they find you on social media? Um you can find just videos on my YouTube, which is just Jimmy Fowley, or Instagram, which is also just Jimmy Fowley. Um, so yeah, check it, check it out. You'll have to see plenty of photographs of the hobbits. Yes. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being my guest thank today, you Jimmy. Thank you so much for having me. You're so sweet and such a great host. Oh well, thank you, thank you. I was raised well by my um, coven of witches 
<laughs> and thank you all so much for listening to Jinx here on the Forever Dog and Moguls of Media Network. My name is Jinx Monsoon, and we have new episodes every Wednesday, so make sure to search for Jinx on your favorite podcast app and hit subscribe. You can follow me at the Jinx on Instagram or at Jinx Monsoon everywhere else, and I'll see you next Wednesday for some more Jinx. Forever Dog. To listen to Hi Jinx ad free and one day early, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcasts.com slash plus. Make sure to follow at Forever Dog Team and at Mom Podcasts on social and rate and review Hi Jinx five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi Jinx is produced by Forever Dog and Moguls of Media, aka Mom, hosted by me, Jinx Monsoon, produced by Big Dipper, editing and sound design by Will Pitts, executive produced by Willem Belli, Alaska Thunderfuck, Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, and Alex Ramsey.